All right. 7 o'clock. Thank you very much. Welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. We start every meeting of Position of Neutrality with a prayer. And I want to say something to you about Chaplain Lee and I. There was a rumor that we were out of the game. But I want you to know that we're both here. He's going to open us with a prayer. Come on and stand to your feet all over this room. It's a beautiful thing to be back together again in unity with our brother and his sisters. The devil thought that he had a plan, but I'm reminded no weapon formed against us will prosper. Father, we thank you again tonight for such an awesome occasion to come together. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We thank you, Lord, for everything you have done. We thank you for your healing virtue upon myself, upon my pastor Joe, my brother, and everyone in this room that has been dealing with illness. We believe, God, that you are an awesome God. You don't just heal on the inside, but you heal on the outside. You show us who we are. You remind us that there's a better way. You remind us that we can do all things through you. You remind us that we can do it. Why? Because we have you. We thank you for coming on tonight and meeting us here. We actually use your manservant to speak into the lives of each and every one here. Let it be made known, Lord, that nothing could happen without you. And we thank you for everything you're doing in this place, in the buildings to come, and in the lives on their way. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you all the praise for the outcome of tonight. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. amen. All right, thank you, Chaplain. So who's sitting here for the first time tonight? Anybody? All right, very good. First of all, welcome. Second, let me warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years. Now we take a look at suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? That was weak, guys. We use it. Why? Because it works. <laughs> the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? So what we attempt to do here is I try and show you how I find my experience in the book, because it's a book of experience. And I'll encourage you to have your experience with it, and if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in here. How many of you have been here before and know that happens? Yeah. So those of you watching online, you can't see them raising their hands, but they raise their hands to show when we speak of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without. Oh, that's another thing we do here. Because we know people come here with different belief systems and they don't sometimes fully understand what we're talking about. Sometimes they have prejudice against the word God. So when we say God, you say, because what we're really talking about is power in you. Right? And it's sensory and it's tangible. And when you feel it, I'll know. I'll call it to your attention and we'll grow in it together. Fair enough? And tonight we're going to take a look at the third step in recovery. And 
the instructions for that are found in a chapter many people are familiar with. It's a little chapter called How It Works. How many of you have been to an AA meeting before? Good, a few of you, <laughs> high percentage. At most AA meetings I've ever been to, they read this little portion of chapter 5, which is the wrap-up of steps 1 and 2, leading me to a third step decision. Yes? So that's what we're going to do tonight with your indulgence. So it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Two things. Rarely have we seen. Who's we? Yeah, it's important we help people know that when they say we in this text, they're talking about the first 100 who recovered, the authors of the book. And why that matters is if you haven't had this experience and they describe an experience you haven't had, but you think you're the we, then you think it's all nonsense. So we're reading their testimony, unadulterated, all these years later. So it's important to know who's witnessing to this so that we know, okay, I'm not having that experience. Why? Well, the second part of the sentence tells me that. Have thoroughly followed our path. Notice how they did not say paths. The first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand, one path. Does that make sense? Not a theology, a testimony. Okay? So then it says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. How many of you have had struggles with this manner of living? Good deal. How many of you just didn't want to raise your hand because you had struggles too? Okay. All right, so we got more honesty in the room. That's good. That's a good sign. So did you ever ponder whether you might be a cannot or a will not? <laughs> That's good. Okay, so all I want to know is they said cannot or will not, and they don't seem to differentiate between the two. How many of you had the experience of thinking you were a will not until you found out you were a cannot? I do what I want to do. <laughs> so it says, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. About what? Notice how many answers, and all of you came up with an answer in your head. There's no wrong answer. They've talked to me about two specific experiences I need to be honest about. Do you want to look at them? All right, so let's go back to the doctor's opinion. XXVII, I think, is that right? One of you scholars? III? Okay. I got Rhonda Wright in the room. Sorry, I violated her anonymity. And Sean Kendall in the room. So I got some big book scholars in the room. You guys know Rhonda? Or have you just heard her lore? She's back there. She's hiding incognito back there. All right, so what the authors liked about the doctor's opinion is he talked about 
the clinical view, and he talks about and experiences that he, he witnesses to people having. Let's see if we can relate to what he's seen with the people he's tried to treat. Bottom of that page, it said, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Yes. <laughs> How many of you would have to agree that that's essentially why I drink? How many of you have been sober for a little bit? How many of you can bring to consciousness right now that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks, even though you're many years sober. Some of you are trying. Some of you don't want to try. Where's my heroin addicts? Where's my opiate addicts? Okay. Bring to con can, you, can you bring to consciousness how that would make you feel? I mean, really hit that plunger. You, you with me? And you don't nod out. Okay, so... We know that experience, even though that we know the damage it's done, I still bring to consciousness as a pleasant experience. True? Yeah. All right. And then it goes on to say that the sensation is so elusive that while the admitted injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. How many of you have had some clean time and then got spun again and convinced yourself there was a choice? In fact, I'm enjoying it. Did you ever tell yourself that? But you came back here, so you didn't enjoy it as much as you once thought. Okay, got you. All right, so what it says, the doctor says, they are restless and irritable and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. We took you through the whole exercise so you could bring to consciousness here, stone cold sober, yes, I can, and I could lie to me about that. It's a pleasant experience. And then as life goes on and I'm not inebriated, I become restless, irritable, and discontent. That's my human condition. Does anyone else relate to that? So what they've said is if I don't find a way to replace that, I'm not going to be able to sit long in this state of restlessness, irritability, and discontent. Does that make sense? So i got to be honest about that. And then let's go to page, hmm, 50, 50, exactly 50. How about that? I've, this is my first time, guys, so bear with me. <laughs> so the authors are now talking about the doctor's experience and their own experience, the doctor's opinion and their experience, and they're telling you about the authors of this book and what they witnessed to. The title of the book being Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered, right? So now they're saying, the bottom of page 50, here are thousands of men and women worldly indeed. You know what they mean when they say worldly? Yeah, they, these, were not, they were, these people were, were not dummies. They were doctors, lawyers, business leaders. You know, they, they had had some of the stuff of life, yeah? And it says, they flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you, even in sobriety, have discovered that there is a desperate need for a revolution from time to time in the way you're living and thinking? How many of you didn't raise your hand because you can't imagine such a revolution? 
because I think we do a poor job of declaring for you that indeed the revolution is available when you summon it. But there are conditions, right? Because they told us the conditions to do certain simple things. Yes? Okay. It says, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. Think about what they're witnessing to. We talked about how you could bring to consciousness that rush from whatever, that ease and comfort, just by thinking about getting a fix. And now they're saying they found that a new sense of power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowed into them. They didn't say drip or trickle. These people were not prone to religious ideas. Half of them were atheists or agnostics. Does that make sense? But they could not deny the experience of power. So the things you got to be honest with yourself about, all the multitude of things you want to talk about, but it's those two things. Without ease and comfort, I'm restless, irritable, and discontent eventually. And if I look out in the world for my ease and comfort, I'll get more restless, irritable, and discontent. But as an addict of the hopeless variety, I have found there is a well of power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction within me. And if I look inward instead of outward, I once again am in the ease and comfort without going out in the world. That's the witness. Does that make sense? All right, so that's what we got to get honest about. And you don't have to do it today. You can take the word of some of us that are living it. But you're going to have to get honest pretty soon because one of the things about us when we meet in these conditions is we're not good at sitting in these seats, restless, irritable, and discontented for very long. Does it make sense? If it doesn't make sense, why, you know, give it a go. See what happens. All right, so, so then it says that there are such unfortunates. They're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So the good news is you don't have to buy the experience I'm telling you about. You don't even have to buy the testimony of these people. But if you need a revolution, what you will have to do is at least be willing to grasp and develop this new manner of living, which will reveal that power to you through you. Fair enough? Simple, but not easy, right? Okay. So then it says there are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. You guys ever met them? Yeah. You ever seen the ones you're pretty sure they got grave and yeah. emotional and mental disorders? How many of you have been here long enough to know it's you? <laughs> we start to realize how grave our emotional and mental disorders were as we start going out as a healing instrument for this power we find. And we start realizing the depths from which we've been pulled, and that is our testimony, yes? Okay, and then it says many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest, and isn't that good news for the likes of us? Yes. All right, so it says our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, what we're like now. Now, over the years in our fellowships, they started talking about what it was like, what happened, and what, I, what it's like now. That's not what they said, and the reason we don't want to go there, I'm talking to you, I'm not criticizing them. I need to be armed with the facts about myself for my own preservation and to be a good demonstration, a good witness 
to you of the potential for your life based on the experience that I've had. Does that make sense? So what I used to be like was selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, full of guilt, shame, and remorse. And I couldn't seem to get dead, but I felt dead. And then this power came into me, and I've never been the same. And I have found there is power and purpose within me, but I have an obligation to initiate that purpose when asked. Not because you need a new theology, but if you meet me, you probably desperately needed power to live. Does that make sense? Okay. And that's why we talk about what I was like, not what it was like. Because any of you experienced homelessness and did you convince yourself you, it was, you picked it? Only suckers pay rent. I'm one of them. So nobody needs to know that about me. That don't mean nothing. They need to know that my consciousness of power to live was obscured by all that calamity. And that I know what that calamity is. And that's why I know what's up with you if you care to hear about it. Does it make sense? Okay. So then it says, if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it. So conditions there. That's a lot of conditions, right? Number one, you want it. Number two, you're willing to go to any lengths to get it. That's a tall order, isn't it? So we better look at it, what it is they claim to have to decide whether we're going, willing to go to any length or certain lengths or listen to it at all. Doesn't that make sense? So we got to go to page 25. Middle of page 25, they say, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Some of you want that. Just the, just the description sounds like something we want, huh? Okay. Which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. Remember when they talked about being revolutionized? They didn't give you the promise without telling you what the path was. The process and the path. Does that make sense? Okay. So the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. Where, how many people once thought yourself hopeless? How many of you had people talk to you about hope and it was a lukewarm experience? The authors knew that hope held no power for the truly hopeless, but certainty is another level. What were you absolutely certain about in your active addiction? Or if I could get high, I'd feel different. And I'm willing to go to any lengths to get that. True? Who's feeling that? I'm feeling some of you feeling that powerfully. So you're getting some revelation. This is the Spirit speaking straight to your spirit. Believe that. Okay, so now if... That's what they're witnessing to. They went through this process. They started serving others. And now they are absolutely certain that their creator, half of them didn't believe in, lives in and through them. Yeah. And that's how they get their ease and comfort today. Does that make sense? Yeah. How many in the room are living in a similar manner of living and can show these people there are those of us that do that every day. That's why you see us. You think... 
we do this because we're some kind of celebrities. No, we do this because my life depends on it. So it says, he has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Then they go on to tell you, you may not be as bad as us, and if so, you do you, boo. Said, if you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into a region for which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. Do you understand that an alternative is not a choice? A choice is I got this or I got that, and I could take this one but not that one. An alternative is not a choice. An alternative is, I'm already on the train that's going to derail. And it's the only thing I know. And the only salvation is a spiritual manner of living that I don't know. And I'm desperately afraid to grab it. But that's all I got because I'm more afraid of where I'm going than where that might take me. Does that make sense? And that's when you've activated the desperation in you. Yes? Okay. So, says if you want what they have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, so how many of you want what they have now that you heard what they witnessed to? If we're honest, we do. We're, we're, we're afraid we're going to count hands and we're going to be called to do it, right? But not very many hands. Not very many hands in a room full. Of, especially, I know where a lot of you all come from. I mean, it don't get much better from here if you, if you don't take that alternative. Um, anyway, so then you are ready to take certain steps. Certain meaning unfailing at this point. Does it make sense? If you will take these steps, you will indeed have this experience. Yes? And why do they know that? Because it happened for them and it happened for thousands and they recorded their testimony in this book. And now it's happened for millions all over the globe. Right? Yep. All right. So then they talk to us about the experience in spite of the evidence at some of these we balked. How many of you came into your first room and it was a typical re recovery room instead of this place and you saw the steps on the wall? And you're like, ugh. <laughs> Run. Yeah. I was told early on, hey, Son, don't take your steps off the wall, because if you do, you got an off-the-wall program. Find you somebody in the manner of living, let them help you out with that process and help you confront your honest doubt and prejudice. Yes? Okay. So at some of these we balked, we thought we could find an easier, softer way. But we could not. Who's the we? First 100 and the thousands they witnessed to. So it says... With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Why would I, putting myself in their shoes, beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start? Because if you ran into me, we're here to talk about more than hangnails. Because we don't have accidents. If you ran into the likes of some of the people I know in this room, you probably need the help. And it ain't us going to give you the help. We're instruments of help. And we're under no delusion that that's not true. Does that make sense? 
you know, all the years and all the thousands of people I've taken through this process, you know how many people have enjoyed the benefits of sobriety as a result of my work? One. Because it wasn't my work, it was his work. He did everyone else too. Does that make sense? So, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Guys, especially in our population, if you're still a prisoner to who you think people want you to be, when you're trying to grow into who you want to be, we need to break those chains for you. This, this whole movement here is founded on these principles that a convict properly armed with the facts about himself can generally win the confidence of another convict in a few hours, minutes or hours, and until such accommodation is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Does that make sense? And so you don't have to be inauthentic with me because we know how you got here. In fact, we celebrate who you are and who you've been and who you're going to be because we're going to introduce you into who you really are and whose you really are, and you're going to go out and you're going to create change. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says that remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Any of you get troubled with the idea of that chemical being cunning, baffling, and powerful? And how many of you feel that to your core? If we'd have clean time, we'd know that there was no good outcome. I'm not the guy they talk about doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Any of you guys ever hear that? That ain't me. I did the same thing with no expectation of a different result. This is going to suck. Watch. You with me? So it says, without help, it's too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is? Power. Yeah, I stopped short, and you're really that, you're right, right on it, right? I didn't have to say God. Power. So if God's got all the power... How much power have I got? How much power you got? That's a hard admission, but my life is absolute demonstration of it. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says, may you find him now. Where are we going looking? And how are we going to look? Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. So now the logical moving forward starts to emerge. I got to go inside. I got to identify the calamities, pomps, and worships. And I'm going to have to search fearlessly. And so I'm going to get, now that I've encountered this power, I'm going to say a prayer and ask to look inward to find out that, those facts about me. Yeah? And then I'm going to ask for a little power to search fearlessly, which is why the very first step of action is a searching and fearless moral inventory of me. Does that make sense? Okay. So then they start talking about the way we think and the way, what we think we know and what we show we know. You ever guys ever notice how what you profess to know and then what you show you know? <laughs> I was like, we, we like to think that we're more sound in mind than we sometimes demonstrate. So it says, 
half measures availed us nothing. So what does that mean? And they already told you that they had tried some of this. They're witnessing to you. These guys are telling you all the mistakes they made to come to the conclusion they did. No one's looking for perfection. They're looking for progress. And that's what they tell us throughout this book, right? So they discovered half measures availed us nothing. So for you guys that are still trying to be with the homies when it's comfortable and a spiritual giant when you're in another circle, I'm here to tell you you're not the first one to try it, but it is not going to work. Because you're not that guy. If you want to grow into this new creation, you have to acknowledge that that man died. I died in my addiction. I just didn't have enough sense to lay down. And then life came into me, and I didn't look like life, and I didn't smell like life, but for the first time in a long time, I spoke life. Does that make sense? Okay, and, and so no matter how far down the scale you go, you'll see how this experience can benefit another. They talk to us about that later, right? All right, so here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. I'm not going to go through the 12 steps because we already talked about how we cherry-picked the steps. I ain't telling that to nobody. Or whatever fear stops you from starting. You know why there's a rung every so often on a ladder? Because if they put them more infrequently, you won't be able to climb as easy. So you want to take step one when it's appropriate, and you want to take step two when it's appropriate, and you don't want to balk at two or three because you're afraid of four and five. Does that make sense? The experience will prepare you for the action. Okay. So they read the steps, and then it said, many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. To which we reply, that's what I thought. Right? I felt this. I once thought and felt exactly as you did, but I doubt I'd have made much progress had I not taken action. Here's the action I took, and here's what I experienced as a result, and I'm here to proclaim that good news to you. Does it make sense? And I'll walk with you. As long as you want to grow in this direction, I'll walk with you. Right? All right. So it says, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. How come they warn us of that? Any of you have a tendency to just say, screw it, I'm not going to do it because I, what if I don't do it perfect? Or may you maybe make the first little mistake and go, ah, never mind. Look, we learn through mistakes. We're, it's possible for humans to learn through the mistakes of others, but we're incredibly reluctant to do so. So we got the grace. Yes? So, so it says, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. Does that make sense? Are you willing to grow spiritually? Awaken. Now, the goal of 12-step recovery was never abstinence. It was about awakening in the spirit. Completely different experience. We celebrate abstinence in the fellowships, but if you're in the manner of living... You really want the ease and comfort that comes with awakened spirits. Okay, so 
The point is we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we've set down are guides to progress. Where are the principles that they've set down? They're found in the testimony. They're found in the subject books that they wrote or they studied earlier. Not the ones they wrote later. They became less all-inclusive then. I'm not criticizing AA literature. I'm just saying this is the true consciousness testimony. Find your experience here. Find your principles here. They'll encourage you to see where religious people are right. They'll encourage you to do all kinds of things to figure out what those principles are, but it's not necessarily a list you read in a later book because that may not be true for you. It was, that book was written 15 years later. Does it make sense? And this book is not written about a fellowship. The fellowship was named after this book, not the other way around. So a lot of people think by sitting in the rooms, you're sitting in the program. No, you're sitting in the fellowship. If you're in this program, then you're in this manner of living, and you won't have to tell anyone, they'll know, because light is self-evident. Does that make sense? All right. So it says, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own life. Notice how they separated those two. How many of you have done some of the step process? Hopefully more of you than that. Are you sleeping? Am I boring you so far? No. So, how many of you have discovered that I discovered I was alcoholic? I, I admitted to powerlessness and unmanageability before I knew what they said the unmanageability was. I thought my unmanageability was outside. So they didn't even disclose to me that alcohol was my solution until it became a problem. And then I realized I was trying to medicate away that unmanageability within. And they didn't disclose that to me until my step two experience, right? Then it says that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. That's, a, that's entirely an internal journey. You don't have to cop that to me. You don't have to cop that to whoever you're working with, your mentor, your sponsor. But you need to know because, see, you're not going to fool the power within you. The authors talk about and more about alcoholism. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were. That's the first step in recovery. You don't see that on the walls. But you cannot fully concede to your innermost self based on a lie. So all I'm, who's feeling that? I'm feeling you feel me. Okay, so, so this is just between you and that power in you. If you know you need help, that's the time. You don't have to know a name. You don't have to know anything but an experience because he's going to meet you right where you are. And he's going to tell you who he is as you walk out in it. Does that make sense? And then we got all kinds of books to recommend to you to learn more as you grow. Okay, and then that God could, they're either mesmerized or asleep, Sean. That God could and would if he were sought. Now, they wouldn't have told me that had they not tell me where I was seeking. Where am I running? Down the highway? Fearlessly within. 
Does that make sense? Okay. So now it says being convinced. We are at step three. Being convinced of what? You agree with Sean? Okay. <laughs> Which is that we decide to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Now, guys, we get in a hurry, like we think we're recruiting. <laughs> they didn't say God as you understand him. They said God as we understood him. They've described how they understood this power and the way it expressed himself through us. If that's not what you have, then don't listen to someone who's not telling you the truth. If we're sitting with you and you have the experience with me, I will say to you that that you're feeling right now, that's the power we talk about. That's what we're going to seek to improve consciousness of, the awareness of being aware. And that is your level of understanding. Not your understanding, your experience and the understanding that comes into us because every step you'll ever see will say as we understood him in italics because the God I understood then is not the God I understand now. And the only thing that happened between then and now is I grew in his understanding because I walked in his light. Does it make sense? And if we don't tell people that, they suffer needlessly. And that bondage of me worrying about what people will think of me because I just tell you the truth has got to go. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says... Just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? What do we mean? What do we do? You want me to simplify it for you? Do the rest of the steps. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. Okay. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So, are you convinced? Based on what? <laughs> Lance is saying their experience. Now he's been here too long. Most of us are convinced by our experience because we read it. My life run on self will can't be a success because I proved that's why I'm here because I didn't want to join this fraternity. Yeah? Okay, so they said any lie. I've got to quit judging how I think and feel by the way I see you act or hear you speak or got it, right? Any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I don't need to compare to what y'all got going on. I got to walk informed in the spirit. That's what I got to do. And if I do that, it won't matter to me so much what the rest of y'all do. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, on that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. How many of you have done that? Checked your motives. Yep, good motives. Then some son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, they're going to talk about that experience. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Notice what they said. One of the things you got to know about this book, it's very brief for the, what they uncover for us. And so you got to pay attention to every word because they agreed on every word. They meant the words they said and they said the words they meant. If they wanted to talk to me about an alcoholic, they would have said alcoholic. They didn't. They said most people try to live by self-propulsion. How many of you 
got your alcoholism confused with your human condition. How many of you confused other people's human condition for alcoholism because that was your only frame of reference? How many of you have grown in the spirit and realized there's plenty of crazy people who never did all the crazy shit I did? <laughs> so each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. Is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. How many of you have thought that way? Notice how unassaultive that is on our ego. Well, I've thought like that. So they want us to sort of move into this journey of self-discovery without telling us we're on a journey of self-discovery, knowing how sensitive many of us are and how quickly we reject others' opinions. Yes? Okay. So everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. How many of you, like Sean, find yourself there? <laughs> Honest, modest, self-sacrificing. Come on, I should see every hand in the room because all of you got it in you. Yes? yes? Now, that may not be where you operate a high percentage of the time or all the time, but it's in you. Yes? Okay. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Any of you find yourself there? How many of you are more comfortable finding yourself there than in the other if you're not? Yeah, so we got to work on that, don't we? Because absolute certainty requires you bear witness to the truth, not my truth, not your truth, the truth. Yes? And that's going to require that I not care that much about what you think, about what I have to say as long as it's about me. Because I am the expert on me. Now that I'm, does that make sense? Okay. So, but as with most humans, he's more likely to have varied traits. So did you discover something about common humanity? Because we tend to judge people in the worst moments we encounter them, and that's what we carry with us. And we don't want anyone else to do that to us, do we? But we have suffered the effects of people doing that to us, because most people live by self-propulsion. Okay, so what usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. You might find yourself on a Thursday night in a reentry center. The show's coming off just fine, trust and believe. But sometimes this, isn't where, this wasn't our aspiration when we launched from kindergarten, was it? Boy, I sure hope someday I get to go to a re-entry center. <laughs> he begins to think life doesn't treat him right. Any of you ever get there? Why me? He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. And still the play does not suit him. Start to sense the desperation in their testimony. How many of you have been there? 
man, I'm trying so hard and I had such a disadvantage and don't they know how far I've come from where I was, but I'm just going to stop because no one appreciates me anymore. <laughs> Any of you ever been there? Maybe you didn't verbalize it, but you went inward and just stayed there. Okay. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. Someone's got to be responsible for this mess. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? So in this book, when they put a question mark, that's why they call it a text, it's my time to go inward, where power is found. Because eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. And I've walked in the world blind long enough. Yes? Okay. So it says, is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Question mark. Did I not have some attachment to my selfless act if I'm disappointed how you received it? Did I not have some attachment to my selfless act if even if I don't outwardly act it, I feel some kind of way because you didn't appreciate me sufficiently? There's another book that says, do not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Become unaware of selflessness, and then you're truly selfless. And guess what? You can't produce it. So it's a state of being. It's allowing the power to use you as an instrument. And once you realize that you're just an instrument, there's no need to claim credit or response. Does that make sense? And that's an aspiration, guys. I'm just talking to you. But those of you, how many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and works with others? Don't you have to admit at times when you're doing that, there's things flowing out of you that you did not have in the knowledge bank that is all of a sudden, and you're just as amazed as they are, then you experience selflessness. And the thing you need to understand is you'll have people in fellowships tell you, we're a selfish program. No, we are a selfless program, but selflessness and selfishness look very much the same to people who don't know. Whoa. Because I'm walking in certainty. So I'm, I'm not conscious of your feelings when what you need is an introduction to truth. I'm not saying be mean. I'm talking to you about me anyway. But if you're going to be offended but what I tell you is my experience... That ain't on me. You ever have the mailman drop you off a gas bill and you're madder than hell at the mailman? No, you're mad at the gas company. I'm not telling you your experience. I'm telling you mine, but I'm doing it in absolute certainty. And if you don't like my experience, then do you, boo. Am I making sense? I'm not saying go out and be mean. I'm saying get it straight. We're not talking to them. Their faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. I got a whole fitness step to get me ready to do that. And I don't have to talk very much. You guys that are doing a lot of 12 step, and we don't have to talk very much, do we? Because the light is self-evident. They've been watching. Who's feeling that? Okay. All right. So... What the hell did I do? Oh. All right. So the show doesn't come off. He begins to think life doesn't, oh, I'm all the way down here. 
What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? So two questions. Have you ever been victimized by that delusion? And did you know that it was a delusion? And if you say yes, then I'm going to say to you, do you know the nature of delusion? The nature of delusion is I lie to me and I don't know I'm lying. So I can appear quite certain and be absolutely full of caca. Yes? Let me tell you about spiritual truth. When I witness to you about the truth about what happened to me, it comes with a signature. You may not know why you feel different when I'm witnessing to you, but you will feel different because you ask for that testimony. Does that make sense? I'm watching people I know bear witness to the truth, and that's all we do. And when we do, it comes with power, does it not? Not a concept, not a light bulb, not a doorknob. comes with power. And, and the blind see, and the lame walk, and the captives are set free. Okay. So, is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? How many of you are running around pretending you're in charge? Some, someone figured out you weren't in charge. In fact, they thought they were in charge. And then there was a little kerfuffle. Has that ever happened to you? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of, the rest, out of the rest of the show? Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So see how they're talking in third person? They're talking in third person for a reason. It's less assaultive on my sensitive ego. I need to see that about me. I don't need you to tell me that. That's why I'm going to tell you about how that looked for me. You know why no one can read this book till someone shows them how? because they wrote it that way. We're not here to change it or tell people who they are. What we're here to do is show you how to read it. It's written in first person and third person. It's written in past tense and present tense. And if someone that isn't in the manner of living doesn't help you understand to switch between the tenses, you have no idea what they're talking about. So you go make it up and you suffer. Does it make sense? All right, so. Do you understand what they're talking about creating confusion rather than harmony? I can't tell you what it looks like for you, but I can tell you, for me, this is the show that is my life. And all of a sudden, I decide I'm going to go arrange the lights, the scenery, and the ballet. And I'm off over there somewhere, getting somebody just right. Then the lights pan to me, and it is time for me to play the part that is my life. And the show can't come off, because I'm not there to play my role. So no matter how perfect they are, when my time came, I wasn't there to play my part. Does it make sense? And some of you might see that in your story, and if you don't, that's fine. That's just what I learned. I mean, I had all these faults because I had imperfect parents and imperfect kids, <laughs> imperfect employers. Any of you? Was it my job to judge their perfection or lack of? No, it was my job to encourage. So I was off arranging the lights, the scenery, and the ballet instead of playing my part. Encouraging, never discouraging. All right, you ever been to a courtroom? Look at who I'm talking to. You notice how the defense is at one table and the prosecutor's at another? Notice how they don't switch seats. When I make this decision, I join the advocate's side. 
I'm on the defense side. I'm going to advocate for my brother and sister for the rest of my life. As long as I have air in my lungs, that's my obligation. That's the decision I'm making. And if I'm criticizing, then the other team is using me as his instrument. Then I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. Make sense? All right. So... Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw state cracker who thinks society has wronged him. And the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity. So they brought me back, based on this, to just do a little contemplation. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Am I really that troubled by them, or am I deflecting what's going on in me and then projecting on the world I live in? Does that make sense? We don't know for sure, but as we move through the process, we learn that the world has no power to cause how we think and feel. It simply reflects how we're thinking and feeling. And if you don't believe me, talk to some of us who go through some gnarly stuff, and we know with certainty that whatever I'm going through, I'm not saying it's without pain, emotional, physical, whatever, whatever I'm going through is preparing me for where I'm going. Does that make sense? And it's a different way to live. Okay, so selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. Caution to you guys that aren't very far in the manner of living. No one is saying all the suffering and what have you in the world that you've endured has anything to do with anything you did. They're not saying that. What they're saying is they chase it back to the root. I find myself in a selfish condition. I want to see what self-seeking behavior led me to that self selfish condition. I want to see what lie I told to me to start engaging in selfish behavior. And I want to see the fear that drove me to start that in the first place. And if I go through that process in four, I'll start to see how fear drives me to start acting in ways that are inauthentic to me in order to win your approval or to justify bad acts from me or whatever. Does it make sense? I want to fit in a certain group, but I got to talk and act in a certain way that doesn't really feel right, but you buy it and I really want you to like me. And Pretty soon, everyone believes it. You still don't like me. Now I don't like me. Any of you ever find yourself there? That's why you want to do a four if you're finding yourself here. Does it make sense? So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. So I don't know who the rest of you are, but I have determined that I am this alcoholic. So I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. Any of you relate to me? So what are the chances I'm going to get well on my own? 
history would say they're not good. Yeah? Okay. So above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. The rest of the world's going to be the rest of the world. If I've determined I have this hopeless condition of alcoholism, I'm going to have to get rid of self. It says we must or it kills us. God, power makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. How many of you tried over and over to get rid of self without summoning the spirit and realized not only often, but never? Okay. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Any of you discover that? You seemingly knew the right thing to do because you could tell others the right thing to do, but you couldn't always manifest the power in you to do the right thing. Welcome to the human condition, right? Okay, so neither could we reduce self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. So who's we? This is the first time you get to make a decision. This is their testimony and their witness of the first several thousand. But if you want to join them, this is the point where you get, nope, I got to have that power too. Does it make sense? Who's feeling that? Because that's the power. That's that that you're feeling. That's the power we're talking to you about. Okay, so this is the how and the why, but first of all, we had to quit playing God. Why do we have to quit playing God? Doesn't work. Right? God's a tangible sensory experience. It's power to live from within. It's power to live a transformed life. I don't possess that, but it flows through me. I have access to it. Does it make sense? Next, we decided that here and after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He's the principal. We're his agents. He's the father, and we're his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. I'm going to stop with this, because you can go say your prayer on your own, whatever meaning it's to you. But what is this concept that is the key, that arch, that I'm going to walk through to freedom. And he's the father and we're his children. So what I want you to know walking out of here if you want to grow, who you are and whose you are. And if you know those two things, your victory is assured. Thank you very much. Thank you.